Welcome to JR Out Loud, the podcast of Jewish Renaissance. I'm Judy Herman, and I am absolutely delighted today to be talking to Eilish Stout Kens, who is the director of this incredible play, telling a story I knew nothing about, of the Cook sisters, real heroines of the Holocaust, not Jewish, not German, Sunderland girls, Northern lasses, yes? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Sunderland and then they went to school in Annick, which is very near to where I'm from. I'm five miles down the road from there. And then moved to London. So, yeah. Yeah, Annick's beautiful. Yeah, it is. <laughs> what made them move to London? It was their uh, father's job made them move, but they still kept in touch with all of their friends and stuff from the north. Mm. And But, yeah, Sunderland's their their hometown, I would say. Right. So I think, should we just talk a little bit about them before we talk about how you're going to tell the story in the play? Because this, I can't believe the story. The more I read about it, the more it's like the, the best spy novel ever and plus. So you outline the story of two incredible women who never married and one of whom also became a, a Mills and Boone writer. You couldn't make it up. Even she couldn't. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's incredible. Um, they describe themselves as two ordinary lasses, and so the kind of the catchphrase of the piece is two ordinary girls who do extraordinary things." So yeah, Ida and Louise they were called, um, and Ida became a writer for Mills and Boone under the name Mary Birchall, and then they were in love with opera. They loved the opera, and. They, I can't remember the dates, excuse me, but they went to New York. They saved up all their money and they went to New York to go see Amelita Galakirchi um, perform, which was already extraordinary in itself, the fact that two young, normal girls went to New York. Um, and then from then, and their love of opera, they found out about what was happening to the Jews and... Through that time, they thought, well, we have to do something. And there's a lovely quote, which they said, I think it was Ida who said in an interview, and it's in the piece as well, about um, their mother always telling them, you are what you do. Um, So it's it's lovely. And so they thought, right, well, we have to do something. And they ended up getting themselves in debt and all sorts. And they would would just pass themselves off as, um, like, admirers. And uh, Louise taught herself how to speak German so that they could... um, get across there and not be not be spotted or stood out or anything like this and then they would get jewelry that they would just pass off as as fakes fake jewelry and they would give that to um uh the people that they saved to give them some sort of um, money well was this their jewelry though i mean was it or was it how did they get i thought it was the jewelry of some of the people yeah so yeah. they would they would like gather it people would help them out and that type of thing but they were the they were the carriers of it type of thing. Almost like a fence, but in a good way. Yeah, <laughs> essentially. And so, yeah, they ended up, I think it was Ida did talks up and down the country on how people should be financial guarantors for Jewish families coming into the country during that time. And they ended up saving the lives of 29, 29 Jews, which is amazing. And so, yeah, it's just, it's just totally phenomenal that these two girls managed to do this. And as you say, they never married um I, I can't remember the figure but uh Ida had written over a hundred um books for Mills and Boone during this time as well to and a lot of the reason why she was doing that was to get money to go and travel and mm. to go and help 
help them. So that's that was her drive, um, and she speaks about that a lot. So yeah, so, that's the story in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, that's very good. You know, you you said that they found out about the plight of Jews in Germany. How, do you know how they found out? I mean, presumably, I do. Of... I have it. It's in the script, actually. I'll just find it was um, someone they'd met through the opera had let them had made them aware of it. Yeah, so it was. Um, apologies, my pronunciation. Frau Mischemeyer, the um, uh, Jewish musicologist. She was the um, initial person who told them all about the the plight of the Jews under Hitler, and all about the Nuremberger laws and stuff like that. Oh, wow. um, so yeah, it was it was her who'd explained that. Yeah. And do you know where they met? I mean, they, obviously they were not in Germany yet, or um, were they? They met at the Salzburg Music oh, yeah, Festival. Oh, right, so in Austria. So first they went to New York, you say, and then they yep. seemed to go to Germany to every opera house. Yeah, so they um, travelled to Vienna and Florence and other places in America as well. And it, But it was kind of their, their seeing of Amelita Galakici in New York that really solidified, yeah, we want to travel to see opera. Mm. Well, you said um, that beautifully. That's the name of a soprano, is it? Or not? Yes. So, and yeah. Amelita mm. Galakici, she sings uh, Madame Butterfly. Ah, oh, right. So it's Puccini, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, you know, Puccini's enough to hook anybody into <clears throat> anything, isn't it? Yeah. So um, mm. she was the first, the first one who they loved. And then they decided to travel for opera. And then it was just through the travel and speaking to others in the music industry and other opera lovers that they'd found out about this. Mm. So yeah, mm. and so they put themselves in quite a lot of danger, didn't they? But they had—they seem to have been so clever at working out artful, really, isn't it? At working out ways. I—I I, I was looking, and they seemed to go into Germany one way and out another way, so people wouldn't realise. I think it—it it all. St- I mean, there were two very, very intelligent. You know, Ida was obviously amazing with words but Louise had managed to teach herself German like they were incredibly incredibly intelligent and I do think they mention a lot in interviews and stuff that the fact that they were just two women who you know they weren't they weren't you know riches and all of this they could pull off the fact Mm. that and they could play on the fact that they were just normal ordinary women and no one really gave them a look in because they weren't a threat mm. and no one expected a woman to act like that in those days so they just managed to use that maybe hindrance as a as a virtue I would say so, yeah, yeah. very very resourceful they used their ways of being a woman and mm. the fact that maybe no one would give them a look in and no one would yeah. think they were a threat and use that that hindrance as a, as a virtue really and yeah. um, and used it to their advantage. I mean, it's interesting, we should say, shouldn't we, probably, that um, what age would they have been during the Second World War? Because it's during the First World War that the young men they might have married, not, they wouldn't even have met them. I mean, so many young men had died that there were spinsters around during the Second World War, so I just wondered about their ages at this yeah, time. Yeah, I'm just going through my notes there. So Ida was born in 1904, and Louise was born in 1901. Right, so they're absolutely that age where they would yeah. have sadly not, not married. My, my diction teacher, you know, my elocution teacher at school was called Miss Bratella, and she was the first person who alerted us girls to this fact, and she was quite elderly by then, obviously, that she'd never married because 
of the First World War. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's always stuck with me. I think she might actually have had a fiancé that died, but even so, you know, it's a... We know that that's an important thing. So um, so they'd done this time and again. They'd actually rescued people. They'd set people up in Britain. and then Yeah, they they bought a, a flat in London as well to house any of the people that they'd saved um, so that they had somewhere to stay mm. until they got back on their feet. They really thought it all through, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they knew mm. everything. <laughs> and in a way, they're sort of like an old married couple themselves, aren't they? Because they were very, very close, I've read. Ida died first, I think. Um, yeah, mm. um, so Ida died in 1986 and Louise died in 1991. Mm. Um, so long lives. But yeah, and that's a lot of what we've played on in the production is how close they are mm. and that playfulness as well. Yeah. Because... The way they speak about themselves, they they um, a direct quote is that they would play off as admiring fools um, <laughs> to that. to the you know to the German officers mm. and stuff, so that they didn't get caught. And you can just imagine them coming up with that idea and how how wicked their sense of humour was. Yeah, 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 they're absolutely incredible. They met some very high-ranking Nazis, didn't they? Yeah, they even um, they knew uh, Hitler from the back as well. Hitler from the back. Uh, From the back. It's a direct quote. Hitler from the back. They'd been in the same place as him and he was ahead of them. Rather lovely, isn't it? Yes, that's part of the wicked sense of humour, all right, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Yeah. So how do we spin all this into a play? And we really must um, credit Lewis. Lewis Matthews or Louis Matthews? Lewis, I think, on this case. Lewis Matthews. Mm. So Mm. he adapted a book called Angels of the North. I have it here. What a wonderful Um, name. Oh, Look at a production that. with the Northumberland Theatre Company um, that went on last year. And then from then, him and I spoke, and then myself and the two girls who were in it, Sarah Walter, mm. who was playing Ida, and Natalie Simone, who was playing Louise. We kind of adapted the section of Ida and Louise Cook, the Cook sisters, so it was... From an initial play that then myself adapted. Mm. So, right, yeah. So, okay, so wait a minute, the book is just about them or about other heroines too? So, the book is about um, notable women of the Northeast. So, it's about lots of women. Mm. The original show was last year in March. It unfortunately had to stop halfway yeah. because of everything that's going on. And that wasn't um, this, sh- sorry, that wasn't this show you're saying? No, that no. was Angels of the North. Oh, it was about all of the women. Right. About all the women. But Ida and Louise mm. featured in that. Mm. And then it was through a conversation between myself and Lewis, we'd thought, oh, actually, that's such a gorgeous story. Mm. It would be nice to to make that in itself. Um, and then, obviously, with the association with the Brunderbar Festival and everything, we kind of solidified mm. that. And that's when I kind of adapted everything else. And myself and the two girls have kind of devised certain bits mm. and we've added in the music and all of this element. So it's been quite collaborative. Yeah, so it's very um, resourceful of you. I think you, you three are sort of channelling the sisters, aren't you? And, yeah, and, we are. <laughs> and obviously Lewis as well, So because he's actually... So he is. He has written it with you? He's. I would say it's um, It's half and half. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. yeah. And he would agree. I've, I had a chat with him um, yesterday evening mm. about this, just in terms mm. of this meeting. And yeah, he's he's very much on board with that. It was a half and half effort. Yes, yes. So yeah, yeah, yeah I can see that completely. Because you have 
the agency to change things as you go along, don't you? And to devise. Absolutely. Mm, mm. Um, yeah. So where do we start? I mean, give us give us an idea. I mean, I, I all I can hear, I can there's two things that really stick out for me are the well three things really. One is the opera, so you've got some sort of soundtrack that people will recognise if you want it. Um, another one is this Mills and Boone thing. I just sort of see the whole. You could you could almost I, well you wouldn't send it up, but you know there's such a brilliant thing the Mills and Boone thing. And then of course the third thing is all these jewels and we we don't go for fur coats and things now, but they were smuggling out furs as well. I read, so I don't know whether you, whether you we see them in the play, but, but um, I mean I'm sort of excited by these three things in a way. Yeah, you'll love the opening then. Um, so it's told by, I have Sarah and Natalie playing themselves at the very beginning um, to introduce the piece and then they transform into Ida and Louise. This is the story of two sisters from Sunderland, Ida and Louise Cook, a couple of ordinary lasses that achieved extraordinary things and who chose to undertake an extraordinary Scarlet Pimpernel female James Bond type of adventure. But we'll get to that. Under the name of Mary Birchall, Ida Cook wrote romance novels for Mills and Boone, some of which you heard at the start of the show. All in all, she wrote 112 novels, which in itself is a pretty remarkable achievement. But together, she and her sister would go on to do something even more amazing. In private, they were undertaking risky missions to help rescue Jewish families trapped in pre-war Austria and Germany. The girls were born in Sunderland, County Durham. Louise in 1901, Ida in 1904. They both attended the Duchess's School in Annick, and although their father was posted to Wandsworth in 1919, the girls never lost touch with their friends in the North. On leaving school, both took civil service jobs in London. Louise was a clerical assistant at the Board of Education, and Ida was a copy typist. And the beginning starts with um, Sarah plays the flute, and wow. Natalie is singing opera. Um, so it starts straight off with the opera. And then it goes into um, Sarah, who plays Ida later on in the piece. And it reads an extract of Wife to Christopher, which is a Mills and Boone book that <laughs> Ida wrote. And they speak about all the books that she wrote. And that's that's the very, very beginning first couple of pages. Um, and then it goes on to introduce the piece. And then they transform into Ida and Louise. And we hear some more live music. Um, some more live singing. We have Sasha who um, runs the Brunderbar Festival. Uh, she plays violin and she's going to be, hopefully, fingers crossed, <laughs> uh, it's a very quick turnover, but mm. hopefully accompanying Sarah in the flute playing as well. Mm. So, yeah. If I know Sasha, she'll be there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. If anyone's channeling the sister, she is as well, I think, don't you? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's a real tribute to, I know it's terribly corny, but it's a woman, should we call it woman power for a change instead of girl I power? I do, no, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, I, I think it's really important that, you know, I know Lewis helped write it, but that there was a voice of a woman in the writing as well, mm, mm. just like there was with Ida and that was the whole reason why I wanted to direct as, and it's my first show I've ever directed oh, as well. Wonderful. Um, I know, pressure. Yeah, no, <laughs> so but congratulations. To, mm. Thank you. I wanted to do that and, and direct a piece about women with two women in it. And I think that's so important. And especially there's a, there's a book that Ida wrote, um, oh, Mary, um, called Honey. And you can read the first three pages online. It's it's free for anyone to read. And it's it almost doesn't seem of its time because it was so 
like woman powered and it's all about a woman who um, stands up to a man and that type of thing and so you can really see that they were headed in that feminist direction as well and I think that's really important when putting the piece together so mm. do, yeah. does, during it does it do, do they actually portray any male characters during the play or are they just themselves no they are either themselves or uh the Ida and Louise um, there's no, there's no male characters. There's obviously reference to, um, especially some of the the German officers and that mm. type of thing. Um, but then again, it's all almost thrown away. So it's we only see we see the inner workings of their minds. So for example, that admiring fools line um, that's in the piece, mm. and it's in reference to um, the German officers who've walked past. But we don't see that happening. We just mm. hear their mm. hear their thoughts. Cool. So it's all very focused on them mm. rather than them and the things that they did, and obviously um, the lives that they saved as well, mm. rather than the tragic, awful things that were going on. Right. So, but they don't portray any of the people that they saved either. You, you know, they just hear. Do we hear about who they are? Yeah. It was a conscious effort to not want to portray anyone that they saved mm. um not for any disrespect or anything like that but for that reason I didn't want to to put words in those survivors mm. mouths or anything like that and the there's a lots of physical theatre throughout this piece and um there is some symbolism that's going through it uh where we it's a bit of a spoiler but that's mm. okay um they have a lot of suitcases and that's what we're mm. doing um in terms of moving around the stage and that type of thing. And also because I'm having to do it socially distanced, so the girls have to stay 1.5 metres mm. apart, the use of props is really handy. Yes. <laughs> um, so um, we're representing the 29 lives saved by suitcases to show um, oh, those belongings and, that, and the, the souls of those people. And so you'll see, <laughs> still working on it at the minute, it's day two of rehearsals, mm. but my aim is to have throughout the piece when we finish the that story of them saving those 29 lives to have all 29 suitcases um on one side of the stage from the other mm, that's um Beautiful. just to have that image so that that's what i'm aiming for um <laughs> we'll see if i can pull it off oh, i'm sure you but, can because it's beautiful and and are you, do you open those suitcases and get things out from them or we haven't quite figured that out yet we were we didn't know whether they were to have a personal suitcase each and that's where their mm. personal props would be and then the other mm. ones would kind of be untouched mm. um i'm trying to figure out kind of the symbolism mm. of that and everything yeah. um but yeah, but that's the that's the gist at the minute. I think what's fascinating is, I mean, sorry to catch you on at early in rehearsals, but it's wonderful to hear the way your minds are working together, the three of you, and you know, sort of it, it, the physicalities of it, and you know what you're thinking through, the emotion of it. You know, I think this is a fascinating picture, and it'll be incredibly interesting to see what comes out the other side. You've no idea yet, either, I don't suppose, how long it's going to be then, have you? Uh, we're aiming for uh, no longer than half an hour. Oh, it's quite short. It's oh, quite a short goodness. piece. Yeah. Right, that's interesting. I don't know why, for some reason, I was thinking at least an hour and a half. <laughs> I think because it's such a, it's such a, there's so many points of the story. Mm. Um, but no, it's it's going to be, it's, because it's a two-hander, because there's only two girls in it, 
if you do any longer than that, it can get quite samey and it, mm. it can be really hard on the girls, especially when they're in, playing instruments and singing in an operatic style as well. Mm. well um, so, no, it'll be about half an hour. Well, you say that, but what you're saying is I could listen all day. Now, I read also read somewhere that um, the, the books got destroyed or something, the books that Ida wrote under her pen name. So I don't know if that's I'm, true. I'm unsure of that. I know there's definitely like I know and these days at the minute I know there's a few copies online mm. and then she's obviously she got her um her autobiography as well that she wrote towards the end of her life which is actually like one of her like bestsellers out of all the books that she wrote. But yeah, so I'm unsure of that actually. Um the autobiography has been reissued as it's called Safe Passage, mm. but it was originally We Followed Our Stars. I, I, I like both names, actually. No, could be both Safe Passage, dot, 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 We Followed Our Stars. Gosh, mm-hmm. I bet that could become a bestseller by the sound of it. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, it was reissued. It was published in 1950 mm. and then reissued in 1980. Mm. Um, so a big gap between. So, yeah, but it was it was like one of her um, like masterpieces, that's yeah. what they, it's quoted as. Yeah. Uh, There's been a plaque erected to her. It, it, definitely one in the... Is it just the one? Just the one locally? There's one in um, Sunderland. Well, uh, Sarah yeah. um, actually lives around the corner from it. Um, and so we, we have that in the show as well. We ha- I've got both girls to kind of write oh. what the story means to them as mm, well. Um, and that's one of the first things we hear. So Sarah talks about that. Yeah, that was put up... It was put up rather recently, actually. Mm. It was 2017 that mm. it was um, put in Sunderland. Yeah, there isn't one anywhere else in London, is it? Because they've got I London, don't though. think yeah. so. I know they mm. were named um, like British Heroes of the Holocaust mm. by um, the British government in 2010. And also they are among the, the righteous Gentiles in, in Israel as well, aren't they? Yad Vashem. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, as I say, it's the most incredible story. And just one thing I... That, I just picked up an article at the end there that said that just after Ida died, Louise went to a seance and felt that she'd been in touch with her. I don't know if you knew about that. I, I didn't know about that, no. Yeah, I um, might send you the article. I just I, <laughs> I just could see the seance happening on stage. I could absolutely <laughs> imagine that with the research that I've done about them. They mm. just, yeah, their sense of humour is just brilliant. Um, so I can, yeah, I can totally imagine that happening. No, I, think she, I think she might have been serious. As I said, they do seem oh, like... Oh, absolutely, yeah, mm, no, but... An old married couple. Something she would do. Mm. Were you, just very quickly, so were you in The Last Cyclist last year, all of you? I was in The Last Cyclist last year, mm. yeah. Um, mm. I played, there was lots of different characters in that. I played um, Celery, was one of the characters who oh, I yeah. played. Um it was yeah. It was it was my first experience at the Brunderbar Festival. Mm. Um, I'd been to see the, I think it was the piece, the previous year, mm. um, but I'd never been in it. Um, and I mean that story is just it. It's so in depth with the story of the last cyclist. Mm. Um, and this is a very different feel to that, mm. which I think is nice. Um, equally as important. Yeah. But but nice um, that there's a slightly different tone to that. But yes, I was I was an actor in that, and um, 
Yeah, I probably should explain to anyone listening. Like the last cyclist, which you can actually read about in last January, is the 2020 Jewish Renaissance. It's an incredible satire written in Terezin concentration camp. Never performed in public, in fact, until an American, a wonderful American woman called Naomi Patz, resuscitated it, shall we say, um, and you did a wonderful version, and I was blown away by it, and we obviously, we hoped it was going to tour this year. There was a talk, talk of it touring to London and all sorts, but pandemic, pandemic, and then I thought maybe it would re-emerge in this year's festival, and I don't think that, I, I hope it will re-emerge, but in a way, this is a logical follow-on. You can see it online. You know, it's it's it's, it's got these... Two terrific women in it. And it's a local story. And it's also not just about Jews. In fact, it's, I think it's got so much going for And, of course, this year's festival was going to be dedicated to, to, to women who, in the Holocaust, wasn't it? So it, it works perfectly. So you might do it again next year if, um, in real life, do you think? I mean, maybe. Um, obviously... I would love to. I love the story. Mm. I just think everything's so unknown at the moment. That mm. we, we don't know. No. Um, but no, any opportunity to get this story told to as many people as possible, um, I, I would jump at the chance. Well, we're very honoured now. You've actually been joined by Ida. <laughs> Ida <laughs> Cook, a.k.a. a.k.a. Sarah Bolter, but also we should remind a.k.a. Mary Birchall. The, the yeah. Mills and Boone writer. So t- tell me how this has been for you. I mean, what's your journey so far? Really amazing. Um, I was obviously speaking about it yesterday in rehearsals about the the, the plaque, um, the Cook Sisters plaque that is just round the corner from where I live. And I, I walk past it most days, to be honest. It's right around the corner. And just, you know, that and what they've done and seeing that plaque kind of inspires you really every day to think that these two you know ordinary lasses from Sunderland have gone on to do amazing things um, and obviously we're in rehearsals at the minute I've just snuck out <laughs> to do this um, so we're just doing some music and yeah just kind of really tuning into their passion of the opera really and um, just how exciting it must have been for them to go and see live opera and go to the places that they did and meet the people that they did it's, yeah, it's an incredible story. Yes, so actually you sort of brought up something there that then that we've got this underlying current of them doing this magnificent rescue job. But of course, as you just pointed out, it is the love of opera, isn't it? They had this passion. They ra- You, I'm going to call you you, right, you, Ida, you <laughs> raised the money with your writing and you yeah. saw and flew in, you know, in the middle of the war. You were flying around, is that right? Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Like what they did, just, you know, the courage they had, because I mean, it must have been terrifying mm. and tiring, like, go, you know, going from place to place. Um, but I, I guess the adrenaline and the mm. excitement and, you know, and what they said is that they just did what was right, you know, mm. and I felt that that was right. Um, and as you said there, she, you know, she wrote all these plays, all these books, sorry, to, um, to fund that and, actually got herself in a lot of debt by going on these missions um so it it's just incredible when you think about what they did and what they put themselves through it must have been scary but they they didn't certainly from our side of things they didn't seem fear that that didn't that didn't bother them at all you know they just mm. plapped on and did what they felt was right but that, I just get this feeling, though, that all the time they weren't enjoying the opera as well, even if they were Oh, yeah, tense. yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, yesterday we were in rehearsals and sort of, 
kind of recreating that, that scene of where they, they see the opera for the first time. And you can imagine just listening oh. to the opera on a re, you know, really scratchy gramophone and you, you can't quite hear the words exactly. But then to be in an audience and see, you know, the person that you idolise, actually see and hear them live must have been the most overwhelming thing. Um, we got quite emotional yesterday yeah. doing it. And I feel like part of that is channeling, obviously, the current situation. We you know, we can't really go to theatres and experience that right now. So there's a great deal of personal kind of oh. thing in there. But um, for them, that must have mm. been, yeah, just so overwhelming and, and wonderful. And mm. I personally can't wait to get back in the theatre again and, and see and hear uh, live music. And yeah. Theater. I think we all feel like that. It really hurts, doesn't it? So, but so, but we have to imagine them there in Nazi Germany or Nazi Austria, but really yeah. enjoying it with this adrenaline flowing through them. Just, Absolutely. just before you go, just tell me. I don't know if you've worked it out yet, but are, are you bedecked with false jewellery during this? I mean, have you well, had a bit yes. of fun? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Some, some lovely false jewellery. Because <laughs> yeah. theirs would have been real because they're smuggling out this jewellery. So you must have a lot of fun trying all that on. Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing as well. Like we, we were talking about yesterday, just saying how, again, like going through sort of meeting these officials and just pa- trying to pass off these huge diamonds and jewels mm. is just fake, <laughs> you know, <laughs> fake jewellery. Like that is, yeah, they've got some some courage. Got, <laughs> yeah, some real courage bottle. We, I, oh, they're, they're, the people they rescued would have said it was chutzpah, wouldn't they? <laughs> Amazing. That's yeah. absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Oh, well, look, I think we'd better let you go back to rehearsal and I'm hoping that we're going to get a clip. Yeah. Well, we're, working, we're, working on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're working on that now, yeah, so I yeah. better head down. Yes. But thanks. But thank, well, bless you for talking to me and um, I, I, I'm going to see if I can find something written by Ida to read, actually. I think yeah. that's my next job. I don't... Yeah, the more you know about them, the more you want to know about them, yeah. I think. It's great that we're there sharing this. Anyway, I'll go and I'll see you later. God bless. Yeah. Okay. I would recommend Honey. Yes. For a book, yeah, Honey. And that's called. and that's actually in print, is it? Um, I I read the first three pages online, but you can mm. purchase it in print as well. Right. Um, I can't remember which website it was from. I think it's like Goodreads.com mm. or something. Um, but yeah. I am going to go and look for it, and if we can, we'll we'll, we'll try and boost the sales of Honey by Mary Birchall, <laughs> shall we? <laughs> if they sell any, they should probably be giving it to you for this project. <laughs> no, go ahead. There's there's lots that um the one we read in the or read an extract of in the play is Wife to Christopher. Mm. So we went we mentioned a yeah. few of them. We've got Love Made the Choices, Dare I Be Happy, Take Me With You. <laughs> Um, and we've got a beautiful quote in the in the play as well about what um, when Mary um, when Mary when Ida was asked about her writing, what she said about it, and mm. um, yeah, I won't spoil it for you, but oh. it's, it's like word for word. There's lots of word for word quotes in this piece of writing. Um, yeah, just to make it a bit more real. Mm. I can't wait. I really can't wait. And people will be delighted to hear that even if they can't make it at seven o'clock on Monday, they can pick it up later. Hopefully they're there for a long time. Absolutely. 
Mm. Yeah, we wanted it to be as accessible as possible mm. for people. Yeah. Okay. Well, I shall see the girls online on Monday then. Looking forward to it. Well, Ailish, I cannot thank you enough for sparing time from rehearsals. When you're busy, isn't doesn't really encompass it, does it? When you've got less than a week. So, Ailish Stark Cairns, wonderful director, divisor. Can we call you divisor director, co-divisor yeah. director, director and co-divisor? Right, that's it. Got it now of this beautiful, beautiful play, uh, The Cook Sisters, Heroines of the Holocaust, and how. Thank you. Thank you. This is getting even more exciting because now I'm with Sasha Reichliner, who is the artistic <laughs> director of the Brundibar Arts Festival. So welcome. Thank you for sparing me the time. You're in the middle of homeschooling. Hello. I know, she's a busy girl, aren't you, Sasha? So, um, Well, not so much at the moment. <laughs> well, you say that, you say that, but um, mm -hmm. uh, there's still a lot to do. I mean, obviously, it's really sad about the festival, so if you wanted to have a, say a quick word about the festival, you know, re-emerging next year and re-emerging meanwhile, having these manifestations online, two of them, but mostly mm -hmm. we want to talk about this beautiful story this play about the, the cook sisters and mm -hmm. we're going to talk about we, we always talk with the um w with the festival we always think about its resonance for today don't we and i think that's something you want to talk about Absolutely. isn't it so should i start with uh just saying a few words about the postponement I of think so, um, yeah. the events that we've had planned throughout the year so um, there were basically four concerts due to take place from 25th to the 31st. And unfortunately, due to the third national lockdown, we were forced um, to postpone um, that part of the festival to next year. You know, it's sad from one point of view because there's, of course, so much work that goes into all these things. But at the same time, I think maybe um, it's for the best because we'll do those composers justice, more justice, by performing them, hopefully, to a live audience. Yes, exactly. Um, and, and you got this wonderful event to whet the appetite, because next year's festival, we're going to focus on women. We've, we've mentioned that already, I Absolutely, think. yeah. So the theme uh, this year is inspirational women, and we've had to kind of slightly cut it into halves um, so that next year we'll carry on this theme and uh, to, to link in uh, for this year. So fortunately, we were able to keep the play um, because um, the artists are local, so they don't have to travel from abroad or, or far, uh, you know, from like London or something. So they were able, we were able to keep it going. And the theatre, Gosforth Civic Theatre, have been amazingly accommodating and helpful. So that links in really well with our inspirational women's theme and to answer your question about it's the play's relevance to today I've had a good think about that question <laughs> and I've come up with three ways in which the play is relevant so um, well first of all you know in our era when populism and authoritarian regimes uh, have been on the rise for a number of years I think it's really important to remember the inspiring stories of ordinary people like us, really, uh, who stood up against uh, oppression and persecution of minority groups. I think that's very resonant today. 
unfortunately, still. Then the second thought I had is, with it being, I, I feel very much that at the moment we're going through sort of like a renaissance of attention towards female personalities of past and present. Um, and I think this plays an opportunity to shine a light on female heroines, um, which actually comes in line with Bridge Barrett's festival theme, Inspirational Women. And the last, last thing which I wanted to mention uh, in its relevance is that usually the underlying thread of the festival has always been music. And um, I'd like to emphasize the fact that it is the love of music that drove those two ordinary women to commit extraordinary acts. Uh, music can inspire people to do beautiful things. So, um, you know, and I want to mention this in a time when music and art are grossly undermined and disregarded <laughs> um, by our authorities at, at times. That's what I wanted to say. And just one other thing, the rescue of refugees, is, um, downtrodden minorities, it's, it's, that's all still going on as well, isn't it? So... That's always been a theme of the festival too, hasn't it? Absolutely, absolutely, definitely. I mean, heroism is a big theme for the festival. I mean, we have dedicated each year, um, you know, emphasised one of our events um, or dedicated one of our events to a personality uh, who has, you know, committed, you know, basically been a hero during the Holocaust and saved saved lives and you know we know we have a saying in the Talmud that if you save one life you save the world mm. and you know these people they've they've saved hundreds of lives um, in this case 29 and they were incredibly incredibly brave mm. these women and we've also seen how the lives that are saved can go on to be so to make so much in their new homelands and that's still going on today I, I hope so that, do you think that absolutely is that a message yeah, as well? Well, well you know one of our events um in the uh, last it was maybe two three years ago maybe four years ago now i can't even remember was um was dedicated to a, a japanese diplomat chune sugihara who'd saved um i think it was something close to two thousand people i mean it's very difficult sometimes to put an exact number um but you know what we have to remember is 2,000 people, that equals today to 40,000 people, because these people, they then have families and, you know, generations move on and they will forever be grateful. So I think we just have to say it's wonderful that you've got this incredibly relevant um, story that will um, looks forward to next year. It's part of next year's story. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. 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 So, <laughs> what do we say? Same time next year. <laughs> but, but first, exactly. But first of all, this wonderful taster on Monday. And indeed, you want to just mention the, the book as well? Because that's music Oh, yes, too. absolutely, yes. Um, so the book uh, is really just a wonderful present uh, that the festival received this year. Uh, David, David uh, Mulroney wrote a book about five composers who disappeared and uh, we've published it into an ebook, and that will be available on our website 
www.brindabarartsfestival.com uh, from the 25th of January as well. Um, so it's really fascinating book and I strongly recommend it. That's great. So, um, and it's about, about these five composers lost in the Holocaust. Five composers who disappeared. I mean, the title speaks for itself, really. Mm. Um, uh, these wonderful composers that, you know, should be part of the mainstream repertoire, really. And um, they are slowly um, emerging, I think, but um, I think still unknown to a lot of people and I think they're definitely worth discovering. Mm -hmm. So along with the book, I'll be posting uh, a couple of recordings to represent each composer uh, to help the audiences familiarize themselves with the music. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they can read and listen at the same time. Yeah, so should, we should say one of them is Hans Krasser, who actually wrote Brundibar Absolutely. that your festival is named for. Can we name the other four as well? Yes, Pavel Haas, Gideon Klein, Victor Ullmann, Erwin Schulhoff. I'm really looking forward to hearing the, that music and to reading that book. And, of Thank course, you. to Monday. So, we shall all meet again online on Monday, sort of. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> looking forward to tuning in, everybody. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you so much. That's Sasha, Sasha Reichliner. You, you do like to be called Sasha, don't you, rather than Alexandra, don't you? That's right, yeah. yeah <laughs> who is the stunningly wonderful administrator, organiser, performer, all round everything in the, her beautiful Brody Bar Arts Festival. Highlight of my year, right at the beginning. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Judy.